0: Today's episode has been sponsored by Letterpress Play, located in the heart of Texas. Their Austin-based storefront will delight and surprise you, designed with beauty and functionality in mind. This creative space is a place to learn, explore, and become inspired. Founded by Kali Holly, with the goal of sharing the magic of printing with the world, while encouraging others to foster sustainable choices and community. Letterpress Play features beautifully curated craft goods from local artisans and unique makers from around the world. Steeped in mindful consciousness and earthly love and care, Letterpress Play applies principles in Recycle and Reuse, Zero Waste Making, and Giving Back to Community for a Cause. At Letterpress Play, play is for everyone and hopefully we'll play our whole lives. To connect and learn more, visit letterpressplay.com and follow on Instagram at letterpressplay. Welcome to the New York Now podcast, a modern wholesale market for retailers and specialty buyers seeking diversity and discovery. Gathering twice a year in America's design capital, New York City, it's where buyers and designers unearth a refreshed and dedicated collection of eclectic lifestyle products. Hi, I'm Dondra Glover, podcast host, senior producer, and creative marketing consultant for New York Now. And today I'm delighted to welcome Yasmin Dabous, founder of Kinship Stories, kicking off our first episode in our Journeys and Narratives in Global Handmade podcast series. Yasmin is a visual cultural artist and researcher from Beirut, Lebanon, formerly an assistant professor of journalism and cultural studies at the Lebanese American University. Yasmin left her position to become founder of Kinship Stories, a line of tribal art necklaces revolving around values, stories, and craftsmanship. She's also one of the two women behind eSpaceFan, a Beirut-based creative space offering accessible university-level art education designed to heal and empower. Armed with a PhD in Journalism and Cultural History from LSU and a Textile Design degree from FIT, Yasmin fuses interdisciplinary methodologies and mediums to create a combining of travel, storytelling, collage, and fiber art. Her work materializes in exhibitions where she sheds light on social, cultural, and conceptual issues pertinent to our contemporary globalized communities. Yasmeen designs one-of-a-kind pieces include vintage and antique materials, often museum statured and statement. Experimenting with a fusion of old and new, adding handmade works to the mix. Kinship Stories is committed to supporting local artisanship and fostering intercultural and understanding of otherness. Join me in welcoming Yasmeen. Hi Yasmeen, it is so good to have you here with us today and
1: I'm so excited to kick off our Handmade series with a conversation with you. As you know, you're one of my favorite people. We've had the privilege of having you here with us at New York Now, so I'm excited for us to dive in. How are you doing today and joining us from Beirut? Thank you. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dondril, personally, and thank you, New York Now. It's a pleasure. I would love to start with your journey uh, from being a journalist to design. Uh, Walk us through that path, and how did it happen?
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, in one way, it was a very smooth transition, just going from one, a change of medium, going from one medium to another, because I've always been excited about and excited about and interested in culture, art, society, trends, values and beliefs. I mean, this always has been my my, you know, uh, kind of uh, subjects that I covered as a journalist. I was never a political journalist. Uh, uh, so in one sense, it was just um, going from one medium to another, telling the same stories and the same, and relating the same uh, kind of things about people and cultures. Uh, on uh, on the other hand, however, on the ground, the transition was a little bit more challenging. I, I went first to, to textiles, uh, uh, through a fashion design class that I took. I took this class to kind of relax and run away from the world of journalism, which is a world of speed, technology, conflict, uh, endless flux of news. It's, it's, it's a challenging world. And so I wanted something to relax. And I did a fashion design course. During the the, the course, uh, I w- we were given one session about hand embroidery, and that's how it all started. At the same time, during this period, I was diagnosed with a severe case of heart arrhythmia. So I had five types of arrhythmia at the same time, uh, several of them quite dangerous. I I had I have uh, undergone two heart surgeries, uh, long heart surgeries, and pacemaker. And so throughout this period, uh, hand embroidery was my friend. And and it, it became clear to me at one point that, I wanted to choose a bet- the better way and the easier and the nicer and the more
1: colorful way of telling stories, which is through the arts. Through the arts. You know, you've spoken about, uh, you know, when we think about journalism, uh, you know, we either think in a political way or we think about, you know, front page stories. But being uh, in a region uh, that has been uh, challenged, you've, you've, you've spoken about. The trauma in having to report and be on the ground and share those stories. um, Do you feel that that also was a factor in kind of deciding to kind of migrate from telling those such traumatizing stories in your work? Was that another thing to sort of push you in another direction? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's not like
2: I'm trying to disregard ground. I mean, I even have collections right now that comment about what is happening on the ground, all the challenges. I have a, a collection of beautiful necklaces that are really a delight to the wow. eyes about the Syrian, uh, the Syrian crisis. But they yes. talk about it in such a colorful, beautiful way that makes you think rather than makes you stressed.
1: Yes, yes. It, it, it's really... Um you know, prevalent in your work. You've been, I know that with embroidery being the friend, you know, we've spoken uh, on several occasions about healing uh, in handmade, and you've been incredibly brave and vulnerable in sharing your journey uh, with heart disease. I'd like to talk about that connection uh, to finding healing. Uh, You mentioned that you came around uh, handmade and design With the textiles in a roundabout way through healing. And you've often spoken about basically a tribe of incredible people who have found healing in handmade. I'd love for you to share that journey with us. I know it's really important to you.
2: Absolutely. It is actually the thing that I mean, the thing that it's the rite of passage that I had to go through to migrate to the handmade. and I have seen it happening with so many people around me here. You know, in, in Lebanon, I mean, we are a happy society, but at the same time, we do have our share of traumas. And so people often, I have found here around the region and in Lebanon, migrate to the handmade just as I did uh, uh, to find some peace and some quiet and some self-fulfillment. I mean, for me, it all started with the, with the movement of the needle. You know the movement of the needle is a repetitive ritualistic movement that's very grounding, very meditative. You do this again and again and again, and you're stitching things together and there is a symbolism in this ability to take things that were different parts and stitch them together, bring them back to being one whole mm. and so and so it it does get into you, the feeling does get into your soul and it, somehow it heals your soul. I mean, there is also the the, the idea that when you are working on, on something handmade, especially with needlework, you are in complete control of your piece. It gives you a sense of agency. It gives your brain a false but true sense that everything is okay and that you have full control over things and it also gives you a sense that you can change things that you can produce things and this is all leaving aside also the idea that you are surrounded with color and textures and you have this touch that is bringing you back to the first and very essential sensation
1: that was there to heal us which is the mother touch yeah, that is, wow! It's so. It, I mean, I could feel that just in your words. It's so well said. It leads me into my next question because I, you know, it's about do you remember the moment you felt the healing moving through your hands? And absolutely, it was the moment where I could
2: stitch things together. It was the yes. moment where I held the needle. And how can I put it? One, maybe, maybe if I think about it, Yanni. Um, uh, deeply, I would say it's the first time I finished my first piece mm, Yes. For me, to feel, for me to feel that I, Yasmin a journalist who has never ever done anything in the arts I mean this was truly my first time doing anything in the arts it's, it's amazing uh, I, to feel that I was able to do something that I would proudly wear
1: yeah. was a defining moment for me and, and was that first piece, was it a necklace? It was a brooch. A brooch, a brooch. yes, okay.
2: Yeah, and I made it, I made it with, with the fabric that I had collected. I mean, I've been collecting uh, uh, tribal materials since I was 12. Yes. During travels, during uh, there's, a, there's a shop in Beirut that's a beautiful shop, collector's items. I went there and spent my money there. They were ready before I started to, yeah. to stitch. Once I learned how to hand embroider, everything came together. And this first approach was like an affirmation for me that I can do something. That
1: you can do. That's, a, yeah. that, that, that's amazing. It, well, it almost felt like a calling. You know, you had been collecting and then all of a sudden it happened. Ah, that, that's extraordinary. I'd love to move forward a bit to talk about New York uh, and studying at FIT. And of course, we met in New York and you took me to a fabulous coffee shop that I should have known about, but it was like the best cup of latte. Yes, FIT was an
2: amazing, uh, amazing journey for me. And actually, I started at FIT in jewelry design before I joined textile. My first Doing doing uh, 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 kinship stores, I had already started my line and I was already uh, uh, working on it. And I said, you know, my first sense was, you know, which shows you, by the way, that I wasn't even very aware of what I was doing because for me, I was at the time I'm doing necklaces, so I should join jewelry design. So I did, but jewelry design is about metal smithing and silver smithing and you're creating your own pieces. Whereas what I am doing, I am stitching together pieces. So it's. It, I was not even aware that I was doing textile more than I was doing silver, right. but I, I did study silver. I did study work with silver and silver smithing. And then I was walking on campus one day and I saw this ad about a class, of textile in India. India has always been my dream, let alone a class of textile in
1: India. I mean, can we talk 26 states of fabrics? I mean, in textiles, it's, I I mean, they're extraordinary. Exactly, I took a picture,
2: sent it to my husband. He was here in Lebanon via WhatsApp, and I'm like, I wanna go. I took two projects, two projects in journalism to be able to pay for my trip myself. Yes. in addition to my studies, I took these two big projects and I went to India and I transferred. I trans when I came back from India, I transferred to textile design.
1: It takes your breath away. I mean, it really, it's such a game changer. And I guess, you know, what I'm hearing so far and what I know is that this has just been a path for you. It's been lining up and connecting and be- becoming more of your path and your story. And Once you get there, you're just flourishing because it was where you were supposed to be. I'd love to talk about, I believe this was your first exhibit um, at FIT. Uh, We enjoyed it, Uh, Crafting Change. Uh, What did it feel like to do your first exhibition and textiles there? It was was an incredible exhibition.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, well, um, FIT does provide incredible resources and one of the resources that it provides is the access to the museum i mean of course it's a curated museum and so you have to apply i applied and i was accepted and i did this was my very first exhibition and believe it or not my ve- my very first fiber artwork like i wow. had never done embroidery except for my necklaces my kinship stories yes. this was the first time i do fiber artwork as an installation and i mean it just it was it was it so moving was, it was something that would start and never stop that yeah. We put away.
1: yeah really it, really special and so i have to ask what do you miss about new york what did you fall in love with everything <laughs> <laughs> <I
2: know. laughs> life in new york it's such a generous city yeah. it's that when you can make friends, I mean, believe it or not, some people will disagree, but I find that it is very easy to make friends in New York. It is. It really is. It really is. Uh, it is a city that is uh, very vibrant, full of possibilities. Uh, uh, and I mean, it's just a very generous city. And uh, I was lucky to be surrounded by people in textiles because people in textiles have, have this kind of soul in them. Yes,
1: absolutely. And, uh,
2: it's like a community of, yes. of like minded people. And so I was surrounded by very good friends uh, uh, during my life
1: uh, in New York. A huge difference. Um, while we're talking about textiles, I'd like to go back to the MENA region, uh, specifically where you are. And I'd love to talk about the significance of textiles in the region and the influence had on and Handmade and your work. Of course.
2: Well, um, there is no other way to say it but that we, I mean, textile in the region is as old as our history.
1: Yes.
2: Uh, um, it's as old as the human history. Among the very first evidence of textile in the world, um, in addition to South America and India, comes from uh, uh, the Arab region, from Egypt in particular, uh, weaving scraps found from prehistoric times, flax specifically. Uh, We have... Uh, our region has given the world tapestry, carpet weaving, yeah. uh, tie dye, uh, uh, cross stitching, tattries, uh, uh, sarma, which is stitching with gold, ikat. I mean, mm-hmm. we are a region sure. that is, textile is, is part of our collective uh, uh, memory and our collective history and our identity. Uh, we don't see that. I mean, we don't. We take it for. We almost take it for granted. Mm-hmm. No, but uh, I have to be very clear that we don't take it for granted as an industry but rather
1: as a, as a tradition. yes, as yes exactly. which often happens. It's in your DNA, but it often happens. Um, but you know this I can't find the words of how extraordinary just going through the region and, and seeing the textiles and all the incredible stories uh, behind them. It leads me to uh, my next kind of question is, you know, for me kind of one of the most inspiring aspects of of being part of what I consider the creative process uh, in the universe is the freedom to define your participation and contribution. Uh, And for you, uh, one of those uh, names is a visual cultural artist and I'd like you to take us through that definition and how it defines you and your work. Yes.
2: Uh, well, I, I've I've tried several times, and I've changed my title several times on my business cards because I do so many things, and I'm interested in so many things. And so I figured finally that the that the most fundamental way of defining myself is as a visual culture artist and researcher. And I add researcher because I have a very academic approach to uh, everything I do, yes. including including fabric making. And so um, what I understand, what I mean here by visual culture artists, there's an academic, an anthropologist by the name of Clifford Gertz. He defines culture as a web of meaning that's embedded in behavior and in objects. And I see my work as a a, a collage of objects that... uh, um, embody and reflect these webs of meaning. And therefore, what I do is visual culture.
1: So I'm a visual culture artist and researcher. It's, I mean, it, what you do is incredible and you also make films. And so, I, it, you know, I, I think the wonderful thing about being a creative is that uh, there are a lot of abstract places that you can go and explore and, and you just embody it. And sometimes there's not a name always. It's just here is the here's the visual representation of 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 the fruit of this, and I think that that that's really okay. But I I like that title too, so that kind of works. Um, okay. I also want to add that uh, as you mentioned at the beginning,
2: for me, it's truly been a process and a progress, and so I think that the name that I've chosen or the title that I've chosen for myself uh, it does capture most of this process from journalism to the
1: arts yes absolutely you know and going on the strength of that talking about artisan identity becoming an artisan and and the way lives are transformed but particularly in spaces where people are living in marginalized existence circumstances and trauma how is that identity uh changed or how how do you find it transforming lives with a lot of the artisans and and crafters that you meet that may not know how to define themselves? Absolutely. You know,
2: I've done a lot of research about this as well as I've worked with my own students and with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And so I have witnessed firsthand the transformative possibilities of working with textiles. Uh, there, There is a really... Powerful thing about being able to create something out of almost nothing—a needle, and a thread, and a piece of fabric—you can change it. You can change it and make something really beautiful. It is flexible. It is malleable. You can transform fabric into so many ways and make it beautiful into so many in so many ways. And so there there are. Immense possibilities for art, design, you know, for work towards a sustainable future uh, using uh, textile art. And I've seen it firsthand with so many people here. Uh, and this empowerment is really a way to, to find a future by yourself, free of fear and free of need.
0: Mm-hmm. And this
2: alone, a very, very healing thing. Very much so the other side of it in addition to the empowerment is is what i have referred before and we referred to before as like the repetitive movement of the needle the grounding meditative uh, uh, um, opportunities that touch touching textiles give you you know uh, there is this i i remember very well one uh, one woman a Syrian refugee from the camps here in Beirut, telling me that when she stitched, she became a child. She Mm -hmm. felt like a child. She's a woman who had to run away from home. She lost part of her family on the way. Uh, She is in a a country that she's not familiar with. There are a series of economic and political hardships facing her. Mm -hmm. And, And so all of this disappears. And the child remains
1: working with the needle and the thread. Wow, that's powerful. Really, really powerful. Going further, you launched uh, a school, the Eastman Art School. And I know a lot of these uh, refugee women, uh, that was a space where it opened up for them. One of the quotes on your Instagram says, Art transcends cultural boundaries. It's Thomas Kincaid. Tell us about the roots of this project with the school. The intention and the community of artisans that it serves. Yes, absolutely. Yes.
2: This is one of the things I'm really, really proud of. It especially should be. These times in Beirut. As you know, we are facing uh, uh, some challenging times in Beirut. Maybe we will get to talk about this a little bit absolutely. more. Absolutely. And so art is helping tremendously during this period. So I launched the school, Espace Fun. It's called Espace Fun. Espace as in space in French. And then fun is Arabic for art. So it's like art space, the art space. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, I launched this school in 2018. Uh, out of my own experience, when I wanted to move from journalism to the arts, I didn't find a possibility to do it in a very formal, serious way, except through the university. And universities in Lebanon are quite expensive. I mean, they're really, really expensive. We have a gap in Lebanon between serious, solid education that's very expensive, and informal affordable education but that's fun and you know it's fun it's easy it's workshops but it doesn't give you what it takes to be to start a business with your with 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 a given skill you know it doesn't give you a curriculum it doesn't give you a portfolio it, it's just it's fun so we have this gap between the two so upon my return to Beirut, after I did FIT in New York City, I had to go all the way to New York City. <laughs> okay. uh, upon my return from FIT, I decided to launch Espace Fun as, to close this gap. Yeah. So what okay. we do is we offer the structure of a workshop in the sense that, we, that our classes are six students only. They're very communal. They're friendly. They're fun. They are uh, no grades, no certificates, no grades but we have university instructors for uh, 6 weeks so exactly the half uh, of half uh, a university class and uh, uh, and we have a curriculum and final projects so it's a very solid education it's just at a much more affordable rate than what universities would give you, and the reason is we don't have to give a degree, and we don't have to give accre- we don't have to uh, run for accreditation. You know, accreditation means full time professors, yes. uh, several classes. It's a whole uh, set of requirements that will automatically drive the price up. So we have the luxury of being in this no man's land where we offer you the possibility of learning. Of building a portfolio without really paying for accreditation, so it's it, so it it works. We have we have full classes all the time. People are flocking to the uh, courses, especially after the explosion of Beirut. I am sure everybody yes, of course knows what the explosion of Beirut is. Of course. It, it was quite a catastrophe. And so uh, people have been coming to the arts. They have been coming for healing, but staying for business. We Thanks. have uh, Since 2018, we have had 162 female students and 15 male students. Out of the male students, 50% established a new business and out of the 15% established a new
1: business. It, it, it's amazing. I'd love to go back to the community that it serves because one of the things that we've spoken uh, a lot about just in some of our previous conversations was about life um, in Beirut, the challenges, but also the joys. Take us through you know, what a person's life is like. And that would bring them to a school like this. But how do you live? And we know that there is these connective spaces. You know, we're all human. We all want the same things and opportunities in life. Uh, but take us through that to help us understand. Uh, very often, we um, don't always know the story in areas where there's a lot of conflict. But there's life and, and there's heart in spaces like that. So I'd love to know a bit about that for our audience.
2: So, so Lebanon is a very friendly, very outgoing Uh, a very um, uh, full of life kind of uh, culture and society. Uh, We have had our share of hardships. We have been through a 15 year civil war. Uh, We have been through several uh, invasions from neighbors. We have been through, uh, um, right now we are going through one of the hardest economic crises crises of the of the last hundred years it's akin to 1929 usa
1: mm-hmm.
2: um we have had this year also in addition to the corona uh, one of the largest explosions in human history so we have had our shares of hardships we are now going uh, in line waiting for um waiting for uh, um gas we have no electricity all the time. We have uh, our our uh, Lebanese pound is devalued, so we do have our share of problems. But at the same time, we st- we are still very outgoing people. We people. I mean, despite the crisis, the restaurants are full. If if you're if you're if the crisis has Affected your economic uh, situation, then you'll go to a lesser restaurant, but you will still go out. You'll go to a lesser pub, but you will still go, you will still have. You will still enjoy your nightlife. Yeah, uh, families are getting together in a really nice way to help each other during the crisis. Neighbors are getting together in a really nice way to help each other during the crisis. Uh, we have a very warm society here. Uh, um, and people, I mean, the community is very, very strong. And I think this is what is helping us go through this uh, these uh, hardships without being really affected. We continue to do art, we continue to do film, we continue to do uh, all kinds of things. Living
1: life, yes. I mean, just regular people living in the resilience. I remember uh, during the crisis, and you and I had an opportunity to be on video together, and you were walking me through the school and and uh, you know the the glass and what happened from the explosion, and just to the way you've uh, recovered. The group of you is just. Um, I mean, it's it's resilience, and and I you know, praise and applaud you because um, it it was challenging and just sort of even seeing the school and the rumble and, you know, you were there and you guys were in that space and we have to figure it out, but we're going to rebuild. And Mm -hmm. here you have. And so that's that's pretty extraordinary. I'd love to talk about uh, kinship stories. It's such an incredible line. Of course, your collection has been well celebrated in the press from Vogue to up uh, to rape, I mean, tons of magazines and 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 a few things that that it's been described as tribal spiritualized ethnic moods i mean the list goes on and on and it's clearly having uh an incredible impact on global fashion and style but you know it's so much deeper than that you know you're truly uh, a world traveler and i find the collection to be transportive and very intentional uh, how do you describe it and the inspiration that drives it Thank you thank
2: you so much. I actually would describe it the way you did. I mean I I really I really have never ever used the word fashion when I talk about kinship exactly. stories. Mm-hmm. I never used the word, you know, like uh, um, trendy or no. I see it as a you know, accessories or jewelry or adornments. What I what I see in kinship stories is more stories of cultures and travel and the world coming together through artisanal work and artisanal beauty. So for me, it is many things that I really care about. It is connections between cultures. It is artisanal craftsmanship it is beauty and color it is uh, uh, bringing the world together inclusion is very important for me so the whole project that kind of bridges between the intellectual the cultural and the artistic rather than the fashionable
1: yeah absolutely i mean you you've just answered my next question about your messaging and and what's important for you to convey why why is that so uh, meaningful for you
2: well, I have to be honest here. I am—I am a Muslim veiled woman, even though some people will not recognize it from my style or my turban. Great style! I, I love it. Thank you. And, and I've been subject to stereotyping so many times, of course. And so I understand how it feels to be stereotyped, and understand, and I also understand that we need to start accepting our differences and embracing them because this is what makes the world so beautiful. Absolutely. I mean I mentioned that I
1: tra- that I travel a lot. I do. I love traveling this I know like, you're, I, yes, I, you yes and I I've been I've, I love kind of watching you in places it's just but you yeah. I see you um as a citizen of the world um, and and you belong in all of those places um, you 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 bring back so much and you have such regard or culture and being open and to, to learning, to sharing, and, and you you take it with you. And I, I think it's fantastic. You know, you are a spokesperson uh, in your very own way. Thank you. And so, yes, that's, I mean, I for me,
2: this is why it is important. Because on the one hand, I have been subjected to stereotyping and I know how it feels. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I've traveled and I've seen that we are all the same. Exactly. Just exactly. Divided by politics and economy,
1: that's what we are. Of what course, we are. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more 100%. You know, let's you know, when you with your collection, um, I mean, because it just feels it, I mean, it feels like it should be in a museum. Uh, it really is really, it's very, very special. I'd love to talk about some of the hashtags associated with uh, kinship stories, things like um, protective omelette. Fragile, transcendent, uh, just to note a few. Yes. Why Why does that connect so much to the pieces in the that you're building um, that resonates for you?
2: No, uh, in embroidery as well as silversmithing and even beating is embedded with uh, 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 meaning and embedded with uh, 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 values and beliefs. Uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, the punk pomegranate motif, uh, uh, symbolizes fertility and uh, uh, cross cultures, by the way. Yes. I know. And so does the color red of the thread, the color red is without color. And so these choices, these stylistic choices that people make and embed in their work, which I then take and use and put together, these stylistic choices reflect human needs, human fears, human values and so this is why the hashtags come from these values that are embedded in the pieces i mean yes i will include in my hashtags the word embroidery the word necklace the word handmade but for me what really what i am really interested in and maybe this is also my background as uh, in cultural studies and in journalism that's that's apparent i am interested in the values in the webs of meaning as Clifford gertz calls them that
1: are embedded in the pieces mm. yeah, uh, very well said. Uh, and in that in that and staying in that lane, let's talk about your usage of color in the textiles and the materials that, that make up the kinship uh, story collection. And I know that they're unique pieces. No one is the same, uh, but just a short of, of those components that draw you in and in, in creating it. Yes. So I'm often asked
2: about the process that I use. And I, usually the process for me, maybe because I am not coming necessarily from the arts, but I am coming from the backside to the yes. arts. The process for me is backwards. So I will, I will not draw a necklace and then go and choose the fabrics and the silver. Rather, I will go to the fabric and the silver and they will translate into a
1: necklace. Right. Yeah, you know? very, yeah. yeah. It, well, it, it's, it, it's beautiful. <laughs>
2: uh, sometimes I will have some restrictions. For example, when I did my Syria collection, the collection about the war in Syria, I wanted four colors only. Uh, uh, black and, uh, and uh, red for war and violence and white and blue for peace and hope. And so... I had to search within my fabric for pieces of this color and within my beads. But at the same time, still, I let them guide me.
1: I didn't guide them. Amazing. Um, I'd love to talk about brand consciousness, sustainability, and value principles. And what does that mean to Kinship Stories? And what does it mean to Eastman? How does that? Tie in what, what? should people know about that? It means everything. <laughs> I know. I, know. Uh, um,
2: I mean, um, as I said, and I've and uh, perhaps people have uh, heard me say it again and again during this this talk. For me, uh, the arts is. I mean, I am a believer in the power of the arts, and I am a believer in the power of uh, of ha- of the handmade. And I really feel that there, is, there are immense possibilities embedded in them, uh, especially especially for women. I mean, uh, in the informal economy, outside of the regular economy, where, where we're not necessarily talking about uh, uh, women who have access to proper education or to proper uh, opportunities, handmade is the number one uh, gate to the formal economy. It is the gate to the formal economy. Uh, 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 the informal economy, 90% of it is women. And out of those people, so many of them work on handmade from home. I mean, a huge percentage works works on handmade from home. And guess what? Out of, uh, out of these women, 90% spend the money they make on their families, as opposed to 35% in the case of men.
1: <laughs> yes, Women are the gatekeepers. Well, they have to be. It's creating sustainability, not exactly. just for women, but for the entire family. For the entire family, absolutely. it's it's deeply important, and that it's you know it's great to even get those statistics. I, knowing that it does exist in so many spaces, but it really speaks to the lens of women, particularly when they have to rise um, with not a lot of resources uh, and making sure that their families are cared for. So sustainability, full circle. I'd love to,
2: yeah, sure. I mean, a needle and a thread. How much do they cost? Very but well. what can you do with
1: them? Exactly. You
2: know, the, the difference between the, the capital that you need to put in and the possibilities that you can
1: reach is immense. Immense. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, winter 2021, uh, I had the great privilege of working with you on your deeply curated and impactful press-covered iMovie presentation and Handmade for the MENA. Uh, people are still talking about it. It was really amazing. I'm incredibly proud of that project and your willingness to create such a moving uh, piece of, of work for New York Now and taking us through those regions. It, it, it was really, really amazing, and we it was so informative and and colorful, and you really brought us to the region. Yes, trends, but there was this incredible history, um, and and you gave us a deeper understanding. And I think that it really uh, made looking. Through that lens of handmade from those regions in a, a just a, a stronger way. I mean, it really uh, it taught us more, and I think the more that we can learn about the products we buy, where they come from, the people and the culture, uh, the more we can impact our customers uh, and share those narratives as they're buying into uh, something that is really, really meaningful. So I have to thank you again uh, for working on that because it was it was pretty amazing in that presentation. You reference uh, We Dad Kamal Kamwar's extraordinary 50 Years in the Making book, uh, Threads of Identity. I ordered a copy immediately. Uh, it is, I think I sent you uh, on WhatsApp, I sent you a picture. I'm like, I got it. I got it. I got it. Uh, it is such uh, an incredible body of work. It's so treasured. Um, I'm beside myself for owning such a piece of significant uh, handmade literature for Artisans now, to this day, be around the world are still often trying to define their story, particularly when they're creating uh, and bringing a product uh, to market. So what would you say for global artisans still searching to connect uh, their own threads of identity through the preservation of culture and heritage uh, in their work? What would you say to them? Okay, so first... I know it's a loaded question, but but I had to ask. You have such great references when it comes to books, so I want to connect that.
2: Yeah, so actually, first, I would say to them, keep doing what you're doing. This is from the outset. But at the same time, I would say to them, they need to understand what makes them different from others. What is their signature? What is their brand? And this is now me, the brand consultant talking, because I do branding also, you know, as part of my... It is not just, it's not enough to have great skills. People, I mean, great skills are sometimes a talent, but often they can be acquired and they can be nourished. And so it's not enough to have great skill or a great idea. You need to work hardly on your work and you need to work on differentiating your work from other people. Uh, And often the differentiation, as you just said Uh, 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 the differentiation comes from the story the story of the people of the culture the story of you know uh, 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 the history of the con and the context during which this piece is created this is what makes it different from all other pieces made around the world and so once you embrace your story instead Mm -hmm. of like being shy or being, uh, you know, you, you have to yeah. embrace the story to be able to tell it properly, to be able to differentiate yourself from others and find your way in the market.
1: Excellent. I, I agree 100%. You know, very often, I think we're, we're taught to think at times that we have to somehow look outside of ourselves to find our story. And you referenced something earlier in our conversation when we were talking about textiles in the region and you said, almost taking it through the traditions for granted, they're all around you. And I think it's being uh, attuned and looking again, going, well, I'm here, it's right there and, and going through that lens, a very powerful message. I'd love to, to share, to talk about, what's forward for Kinship Stories? I, 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 you know, where are you going next, of course? And then for Eastman, what what can we look forward to? Or what what are you looking forward in terms of growing uh, those two incredible spaces that you occupy and lead uh, with partners? Okay, so with Kinship
2: Stories, uh, I mean, in terms of exhibitions, I have several things. I am uh, especially uh, glad and happy that I'm going to go to uh, be part of the Selvage World Fair, so that's oh,
1: like very that's exciting. fantastic. <laughs> oh, wow, they do incredible work! Oh my god, it's amazing. I'm very lucky. Oh so yes, yeah, uh,
2: And then in terms of in terms of collections, I am looking into collections that will mix the old and the new. I am trying now to experiment mixing very contemporary pieces of plastic wire, things like that, with very, very old uh, uh, 100 years, 200 years old tassels and embroidery and things Mm -hmm. like that. I want to try and mix them together. So I am experimenting a little bit on the production side with this, while on the uh, distribution side I am doing Exhibitions like the Selvage World Fair. Uh, um, So that's kinship stories. Uh, About Espaspan, I'm really very, very glad to say that we have just established an in-house boutique, a small or at the space, that, uh, uh, and we sell both online to the world and in person when people come to our studio, we sell the work of our students and the work of our instructors. And the idea is to teach our students and, and our instructors that there is sustainability through the arts. And so uh, we have uh, the opening coming up on Wednesday, this Wednesday. How oh, exciting, yes. now the opening the boutique and uh, uh, I will be sharing with you the, the uh, Instagram account in case anybody
1: from the USA. Yeah, yeah pl- please do that. That was my next question. You know, how can our listening audience uh, connect with you?
2: Instagram, I guess, is the easiest way. Uh, uh, um, my uh, my Kinship Stories account is at Kinship Stories. Uh, um, Espace Fun is at espas E-S-P-A C E underscore F A N N. Okay, so I I think you can also uh, uh,
1: write it down. Oh yes, I I will definitely be doing a recap of how you where you can follow Yasmin um, at the end of our podcast. So don't worry, we'll make sure that you get. Connect it, um, Yasmin. As I said to you yesterday and today, and on many other occasions, you know, I could do like a, a two-hour mini-series on uh, the body of work that you do. There are so many things that I wish we could have tapped into. It just touches the surface, but talking with you, uh, as always, is it's you know deeply revealing and reflective. Uh, you know, you truly uh, embody uh, the creative abundance. And I, as I've said, you know, visionary brilliance. And it was really been a privilege having you join us uh, today in this series of journeys and narratives and global handmade. Uh, I'm sure there's more conversations to come, but this was, it was a really wonderful talk today.
2: Thank you so much. I enjoyed it so much. And I really, really want to thank you, Dondril, personally for for being the champion of everything handmade and everything artisanal around the world. I know your heart, and I know you very well, so I know how much you love this and how much you're passionate about it. I also want to thank New York Now for being such an amazing platform that connects people around the world and uh, makes people understand the value of these things, not just Uh, from uh, I mean on one side from the market value but also on another side from the story value so that's also an amazing combination
0: oh
1: my god we'll we'll, we'll take all of it um it's it's such a pleasure and we look forward to collaborating with you in the future um you have so many stories and talents to share uh with us um you're truly visionary so that for me means so much and
0: until the next time thank you. Finding Healing and Handmade in Beirut, Lebanon, with Yasmeen Dabous. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Journeys and Narratives in Global Handmade. To learn more about Yasmeen and the Kinship Story collection, visit kinshipstories.com and follow on Instagram at kinshipstories. To learn more about eSpace and how you can support the artisans, follow on Instagram at eSpace underscore fan. Thank you for listening to the New York Now podcast. Make sure to tune in weekly for engaging and insightful conversations, touching on the most relevant topics facing our community today. Visit newyorknow.com to learn more about our market and how you can join in on the conversation.